welcome to Architecture Talk Tongue. I am Sara Colada, an architect and organizer of the Disrupt Symposium, the first of its kind business of architecture event, bringing to stage major architecture practices to cover topics related to entrepreneurship and practice operations within the AEC industry. I am an architecture business development consultant and my goal is to raise the financial well-being of architects through effortless business growth. Each podcast episode features an expert or thought leader from the AEC industry who shares their journey, challenges and advice. Now, let's dive into this episode and welcome our guest for an exclusive interview. Hello guys, this is Circolata with Architecture Talk Tank. We're almost at number 40. We're at number 39, which is really exciting. It's been a full year that I'm hosting really exciting guests at this um, podcast. And today I have Dave Pollard with me, who is an architect and we connected over LinkedIn. And I'm really looking forward to hearing his story and about his work. Um, I really always love having architects on the show because we can find out a little bit about the business and the way of thinking. We can discuss so many different topics um, from design to business. So let's get right into it. Dave, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. And yeah, architects are fun too because they love to talk about themselves, right? Yeah. We're, we're never awesome. too, too shy on that front. That's true. So why don't you tell us about yourself then? Yeah, so I mean, I, I'll start at present day, I guess. But um, so I'm I'm a co-founder um, of Live Companies or Live Co, as most people call us. Um, founded in 2012 um, in the suburbs of Chicago. Um, my partner is a former home builder, and I am a licensed architect. I work for a number of firms throughout the city, um, and we really kind of came together to form Live Co as a I, you know, a true collaboration between architect and builder. Um, I think a lot of architects want to build at some point, but um, it's kind of a, you don't know what you don't know type of situation. So teaming up with, with Russ was really valuable because he's, he can build anything. Um, so that brought that expertise to, to where we are today. Um, if you, you want me to go backwards and how it all began. Yes, please. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think I, w I was one of those kids who um, was always building stuff, always making things. So I don't know that I was destined to be an architect, but I was always a maker. Um, whether it was regular arts and crafts or Legos or, or anything else that could be built or a treehouse in the backyard or just we go to a house that was being built down the street after hours and take a bunch of lumber out of the dumpsters, you know, and just take it home and just start building stuff. So I think as a, as a kid, that was really my my jam was really making things and then as you kind of figure out what you want to be when you grow up i think i always wanted to design cars that just seemed like that cool thing that was really tangible but the way to actually get to design cars i figured it was being an, an engineer but i think it's actually what i wanted to do was probably more through industrial design which really takes you in a whole different route so i think at some point Probably in middle school, high school, I got really into houses and I was always drawing houses. 
um, I was a big dreamer. So I was always designing my house in my future that had a go-kart track on the inside. Um, I was kind of obsessed with houses. I think for like my in sixth grade, I think for my birthday, I asked for a drafting board, you know, things like that. So I think when you're in sixth grade and you ask for a drafting board for your birthday present, your parents are kind of recognizing that maybe this guy wants to be an architect. So um, I think I, I kind of tapped into that and started to figure out the best course to becoming an architect. And so I took a lot of incredible tech courses in high school it had to do with technical drawing. Um, the teacher there was, was extremely helpful and kind of, um, teaching me new tools. CAD was just coming out then. Um, I remember it was actually my first year of technical drawing class and I went over to the teacher and I'm just a freshman. And I'm like, Hey, have you heard of AutoCAD? And his eyes lit up cause we were all hand drawing his eyes lit up and he grabbed me by the arm and took me to this room across the hall. And it was just three other guys, just computer nerds sitting there, just like working on CAD, they had their digitizers and all that. This is back when it was DOS based. And he's like, this is your home now. So wow. he, he, he threw me into this pit with these other um, tech guys who were all older and, and would pick on me and throw stuff at me. And so I kind of started to embrace the technology then and just kept drawing and pushing it farther and learning 3D Studio back when 3D Studio was barely even a thing. And that definitely kind of took me on a course to architecture school. So um First day of architecture school, uh, I remember one of he's still one of my good friends, but one guy showed up in like a T-square. He's like, all right, I'm ready for architecture school. Our, our professor was quick to shut that down. And like, you know, that, that's not what architecture school is. Um, it's, it's a five year um, take the special button and like erase your mind of everything you've ever learned and start from scratch. And um, I think that works well for a lot of people. And a lot of people are like, this isn't what I thought architecture was going to be. I wanted to, you know, draw plans. I wanted to design stuff. And our first project was he put an onion on the table and left the room and said, you have 30 minutes to write six pages about this onion. And you're like, what? What is going on? This is the craziest thing. And so then he come back in 30 minutes later and say, has anyone picked the onion up? I'm like, oh, no, we didn't know that we could do that. We just came from high school where you do what you're told to do. You don't really break the rules. And then 30 minutes later, he came back. He's like, did anybody peel the onion? So, you know, all of a sudden, architecture school is like breaking down all these fascinating constructs that you've learned in, in um, I guess, 12, 13 years of, of regular school and and starting fresh. And I loved it. It like totally blew my mind it was like the coolest thing ever because it took me back to that maker culture like i just wanted to make stuff like give me a pile of sticks put them together into something um but it also assigned some structure to it like purpose and why you were doing certain things why the value of a program all these things and you do that for five years so then after five years of that, you come out and you go work for an architecture firm and you're you're like, what? I don't understand the connection between architecture school and what we're doing here. And then it takes about five years to try and figure out what that connection is while you're doing stair details and things of that nature. And so I, I worked for firms for about, 
I think eight years. Uh, yeah, seven, probably seven years. And then I said, I want to go back to graduate school. And that was really to figure out everything that I learned in, you know, grade school and high school, and then was erased in college and kind of reprogrammed. And then in seven years of working and becoming a licensed architect, now I want to take all that, do a one-year master's full-time and kind of figure out what I wanted to do with all of that. And what I learned was what I wanted to do was design houses. That's all. It's not that hard. Like I'm an architect. I just want to design houses. So how do you do that? Um, you can go and start over and work your way up at a, you know, sophisticated, fancy architecture firm doing $10 million houses for billionaires um, is one path. And that seemed really hard. Um, I can just slowly try and find a couple people that are going to pay me $5,000 to design a house for them. And that seemed like, you know, I probably wouldn't be able to have health insurance. It was going to be a, a pretty grueling process. So um, what I kind of thought was going to happen was I'd become a developer um, and, you know, buy some houses and flip them or buy some land and build spec houses and things of that nature. It's, it seemed like that was the the most mainstream way to deliver what value I thought I could to the world and be, you know, financially stable. Um, but I didn't know how to do that. And I kind of fell into um, design, build, remodeling as a result. And I think when we started design, build, remodeling, we thought that um, there wasn't going to be any real stability in it. At least in the States, it's an industry that's extremely fragmented. And for the most part, the people performing the work are guys working for themselves, um, not very sophisticated, uh, very commodity based in like a lot of ways. So it's very competitive where you're always fighting to be the lowest cost. Um, and then after a couple of years, what we learned is like what was missing was actually a sophisticated level of remodeling um, where you actually call people back, um, you deliver a quality product, you deliver uh, a, a product that um, most people wouldn't be able to do in the traditional remodeling world. And it became a really good market for us. And we also learned that people are willing to pay for it. So ultimately what we do right now is I design really cool houses and additions and remodels for people and actually build them. And I have a level of financial stability. Amazing. Is that, is that deep enough? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I'm glad to hear this. You know, the journey is really interesting. And I think um, there is some, definitely some business thinking there because you definitely analyzed, you know, your options and, and decided to arrive at, um, uh, at one sort of direction. But then also there is a part to which you say you didn't quite know if it's going to work and it did, um, which is also an interesting thing because I think that um, a lot of times we're architects, we're all like visionaries, right? We, <laughs> we think that uh, this idea has to work, even if it's like super surreal. <laughs> um, and I think that a lot of architects struggle with that, um, that sort of like a little bit of a megalomaniac approach to things. And then where is the, you know, how does the reality really uh, react to it as well. Um, so tell me a little bit about like the development of the business side of things and how did you manage to like bring it all into practice as well and actually 
um, you know, like start turning profit from this because because it's not um, it's not just about um, serving the client and just about the way you do it. There needs to be a, a thought process behind how I scale it, you know, um, and and you know you you have to think about strategy. Um, with every business to to make it uh, to bring it to a place where it's successful, you have to think about strategy. So I'm curious about this because I think that's exactly the point where a lot of architects struggle with it. Um, so I'm curious about how you know how this happened for you and what was the journey behind it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many so many levels and everything you just said, Sarah. But um, yeah, I think. So fun Fund, fundamentally, I think architects are really good at telling themselves they, they really love the work that they do, so they're okay giving it away. Um, so, you know, if you have a structured business, all of that energy that you put that you're not charging for, you need to put into your marketing budget. So you need yeah. to understand that that's a marketing spend. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I've always been entrepreneurial in the in the fact that I've wanted to you know, have a good amount of money. I'm not going to lie about it. I've always wanted to be rich. <laughs> like that's not a bad thing necessarily. I don't know that being you know fabulously wealthy, where I am now, being 41 years old, is as important to me as when I was 11. Um, it's not my primary driving factor, but I do want to be able to go on vacation with my kids. I want to be able to not have to work on weekends. Um, I want to be able to do what I want to do um, and not work myself, you know, into into a grave. So in order to, to do that is really not that complicated. You have to figure out how much money you want to make every year. Architecture Talk Tank is sponsored by the good people at Integrated Projects, a team of architects and technologists focused on the digitalization of the built environment. Did you know that there are more existing buildings in this world than websites? Yet only 0.0001% have been digitized. In response to this, the Integrated Projects team launched BIMIT to digitize any space imaginable. Offices, homes, mechanical spaces, you name it. Now any architect, engineers, or reality capture specialists can convert their 3D scan into LOD 200 BIM just in hours, not weeks or months. Why does this matter? Well, now we can accurately view, verify and quantify the spaces that we design, build and operate. To learn more about BIMIT, visit www.integrated/projects dot com forward slash Sarah Colada. That's like the first step and whatever it is, just double it because it's not enough. I mean, I guess it depends on where you are in your life, but what you think you want to make every year when you're 25 years old is going to be very different when you're 40 and have three kids and two cars and you know, all this stuff going on around you and you're saving for college. So once you kind of figure out what that dollar amount is that you need to make, um, then you just build your business model out around that. So, you know, if, if I need to make X, then I need to, and I, and I want to build 10 projects a year, then if my net profit model is going to be 10%, then 
I can just do the math and back end to exactly how much work I need to do and what I need to charge for it. So, but it, it, the first place it has to start is really with, with you as a business owner, what, what you kind of demand um, you need, and then you can kind of figure out the business model to do it. So the way that, that our business model is structured has evolved. Um, and part of the way that it evolved is building a portfolio of work. Uh, I think when we started and you just say, hey, I'm a guy that's really good at what I do, pay me money to do it, is is kind of a hard sell. Um, we learned it's a lot easier to you know, sell a brand, um, sell a brand that people trust, and sell kind of that final product. So building a portfolio of work in any design industry makes it a lot easier to sell when someone finds you on the internet and says, oh my God, I want that. How do I get that? You know, and then I can talk to them and say, if if you want that, like we're we're the people that can get you there. Um, but early on, it was hard to charge for a whole lot. So we started by doing uh, feasibility studies. So ba a basic conceptual design and we charged seven hundred and fifty dollars back then, which was essentially free. It was just giving some sort of a, a dollar commitment. And then. Um, that was essentially a loss leader for us to be able to sell them a construction agreement. So our model was to make, make all of our profit on the construction end, which just seemed easier to do than to sell people design. Just seemed like a harder thing to sell. Um, a lot of people argued with me on that and um, I'm stubborn and hard headed. So I'm like, no, this is the way, like, I don't care how I make the money, you know, as long as, I'm making the money I need to make, whatever devices I use within there that make it easier for people to buy is the way I'm going to do it. But that became really difficult to scale because that worked fine when I'm just paying myself and my business partner and we just throw everything into a big you know, bucket of money and then we just split it up at the end. Once you start having payroll and, and hiring staff, um, that means that that big bucket of money that we're waiting for in six months we need to front that to pay their payroll in order to get to it. So that's a really easy way is once you have a payroll, that'll immediately make you have to revisit your business model and say, yeah, that that's not scalable. It doesn't work. But it allowed us to build up that portfolio to be able to have, um, you know, trust from clients, great reviews, work that people wanted. That then we were able to you know, invest in people uh, to, to grow our team. And then increase those design fees. So we increased our design fees to $2,500 for a feasibility. And my partner's like, nobody's ever going to pay that. It's like, well, it's what we have to charge. So if they're not going to pay it, we need to not sell whatever it is that we're selling. <laughs> because it, it doesn't work. We're losing money on it. Um, and people signed up for those, no problem. We still lost money on them because the design would probably cost us about three grand with payroll. So it was kind of... It was still a little bit of a loss leader, but not as painful. And then um, we had a secondary design fee that was probably between five and seven grand or something. So our model was to really try and keep design under $10,000 to be able to deliver the project. So that was a way to get to more construction. Um, and it was also us um, probably selling, not probably, we were selling you know, our value short and what we could be charging in the industry. And um, 
it was basically us saying that we're a really good deal on design. Um, or I wouldn't even say a good deal because I'll still say that we're extremely great value on design, but we're definitely not the cheapest, right? So that worked, but then as we grew and had more people and had more projects, we realized that our projects just weren't that profitable because we were um, not making any money on design and design was actually sucking profitability out of the company. Um, it was almost like our designers were just overhead. So that, that fundamentally was, was a bit of a challenge. So how do you fix that? You figure out what design costs and you charge for it and make it profitable, which is exactly what we did. So an order for design, which provides extremely great value for what we do and for our clientele, um, what, in order for that to work, we have to charge 10 to 12% of the project cost roughly. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just what it takes to get it done. Mm-hmm. Every, every time we try and cut the amount of energy that we need to do to make sure that things are built correctly and everything else, um, we end up spending that time and energy out of our own pocket. So that's where our model is right now. Our, our full design fees end up about 10 to 12%, and then we also build it. So we so kind of have those two, two profit centers. It's really interesting because, you know, it sounds like you've done a lot of pivots, um, a lot of testing. There is uh, surely, you know, business acumen that's grown from all these experiences. Um, but have you, from the beginning, have you had a head for, big, for business or did it just come with experience? <laughs> I knew nothing. It was an ignorance is bliss. I probably wouldn't have started my own business if I knew what I know now. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can I, sign up under this as well. That's exactly um, why I started business. <laughs> It's crazy. It's, um, I mean, I remember the light bulb going off the first time I realized that margin and markup were different. I was like, they're two completely different things. Like, right. One is a resultant and the other one is so like just the fundamental of understanding markup versus margin. So, you know, one person saying your margin needs to be that I'm like, my margin is that like, no, that's your markup. The margin is going to be significantly less than that. That's what you're marking up. I'm like, oh, no. What if I thank God my wife has a job? So, yeah, I, um, I, I knew very, very, very little. Um, but I've definitely had a drive to learn and try to learn. And I have been fortunate that I've been able to make mistakes along the way and um, kind of keep things going. And I mean, I don't know that there's really a a silver bullet, but there's a lot of great books on the subject that I wish I read 10 years ago. Yes. (laughs) I think one of them is actually called Markup Margin Versus Markup. I think that's the name of one of them. So, but yeah, I I learned it on the streets. Um, Tenacity, I would say, is, you know, not giving up and keep going. Did you have moments where you thought, what the heck i'm an architect this makes no sense i'm never gonna make money from this or you were rather full of trust and believe that one day it will work oh no i've had oh so many times so many times i thought about um i think when when we were a smaller company didn't have a have a real company with staff it was a lot easier to have those thoughts i think as you grow um it's more exciting because your role changes less from an architect you're involved in in architecture but and design but your kind of role changes to the designer and the um 
and kind of the agent for the entity that is your company. Mm-hmm. So it, your your tenacity shifts into something that I think is a lot more valuable in a lot of ways, right? Which I've which I've really enjoyed. So that that kind of tenacity ha- has shifted into creating and growing LiveCoin into an instrument that can basically allow other architects to design what they want to design. I, I don't say design what they want to design, but that wanted to get into housing and have these great dreams of, hey, I want to be an architect because I love houses. How do I get there? You know, I see LiveCo as an instrument to support that. So, um, you know, we have two architects that work for us and an interior designer. So they're all kind of like a part of that. So I, I, I kind of see my my role and my my passion has shifted to just continuing to curate that, which is a little bit more fun. Um, but yeah, back in the day, I mean, it was all the time. It's like, geez, I, what are we doing? And and I think the, the time I knew it worked is when we met peer companies that were very successful and peer companies where the owners made a million bucks a year. Like what? I'm in an industry where I can make a million dollars a year. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Yeah, that sounds like fun and do what I love doing. Um, that's really that's exciting to me is when you see that it is possible. And I don't know that we're necessarily, uh, you know, doing anything novel or reinventing the wheel. We're just trying to do it really well. And 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 um, there there is huge, you know, financial potential there. I'm definitely not making a million dollars a year right now, but you know, who knows on the way there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know how many architects can say that, you know, just regular guys on the street. that are good at designing houses that they're in in an industry that has a potential for them to make a million bucks a year. Well, that's, you know, that's an interesting one because I think that a lot of us lose hope before we realize those things. Um, but the truth is, is that, you know, there is there is money to be made. You just have to really understand how to pivot and not invest yourself too much into things that are not working. And it sounds to me like you have done it several times in your journey, um, you know, almost wipe it off and start start, you know, maybe in this direction, in this direction, just to figure out how to work and be savvy around your numbers as well. Right. Because I think that a lot of architects. Uh, as they scale, they just think, okay, I'll just take more projects, for example, or I say yes to everything, but it's not how it works, does it? No, no, knowing your numbers is, is, is number one. You got to understand that and you got to, you got to watch them. You have to look at them. Yeah. And you know, our goal is to do less work for more money, right? So then how do you do that? You have to create more value in what it is that you do, which is ultimately what we're trying to do every day in a, you know, get better everyday mentality. Mm-hmm. So how do you define value specifically for your business? Oh, Sarah, that's a, okay. Um, that's something that is a, a really big question and I actually posed it on LinkedIn. I tagged a whole bunch of people and it started a really good, good kind of conversation. And it's really trying to ask what, what is, what what value can and should the architect bring to the residential housing world? Um, and for me, it's it's as simple as my training and experience that is not unique to me, but unique to anybody that goes through architecture school, which is the weirdest 
thing that you could ever go through. I mean, we have a studio with a desk in it where you work all night. Like my wife is, is a business student. They didn't have that. Right. There's, there's, there's so much that you're absorbing in those years. And basically it, it teaches you a method and a process for problem solving and arranging pieces into a composition that provides value to the end user and the world. Right. It's as simple as that. So, you know, my, my value and Livco's value is we subscribe to that same mentality that we are better at arranging the pieces than anybody else out there. And we back it up with full accountability for actually delivering the building. This episode of Architecture Talk Tank is brought to you by the MGS Global Group, a team that provides on-demand CAD and BIM drafting, as well as renderings for architecture firms. In today's environment, with everyone experiencing a surge in projects and staffing challenges, MGS Global can deliver your drawings on time and within your budget. So why work with MGS Global? Their customer service is exceptional and they provide quality for value. They have completed over 5,000 projects worldwide, a testament to their work. Now you can focus on design and let MGS do the rest. Check them out at www.mgsglobalgroup.com. So as design build, I'm not selling you a, a, a bunch of pictures. I'm selling you those Problem pieces. Problem solving. Right. Yep. And the ability to deliver that. Yeah. Right. I mean, my, my goal is aligned with theirs more than a traditional architect. And the fact that I want to get them that building like that, that's what I want to do. And there's a lot of variables that go into that and budgets, one of them. Right. So I can't build them a building if it's more expensive than they want to spend or more money than they have. So that's an important part of my program where and to, to go back to your previous question, um, I've thought about it a thousand times. Like, what if I was just an architect? My life would be a lot easier where I am today. If I can just make 10 to 12 percent of construction fees and not actually have to be fully accountable for the building. That sounds a lot easier, which is where I think a lot of people have gone with it. But I don't think that you you can honestly provide the same level of value, at least in the residential space that we do as a fully accountable team where my goal is not the picture and the design. My goal is the building, is your space, is the place where is the stairwell where your kids are going to walk downstairs every morning and go to eat breakfast and how they're going to engage with that. You know, we're the full vehicle to to deliver that with all aspects of the program it sounds to me like it makes it so much more personable you know the the factor of what you sell actually as a business to your customer um that it's almost like you're selling an experience more than the actual what we normally think we stand for as architects yeah for sure i mean it's the whole it's the whole master builder mentality you know it's so would you say that um, defining that, has that really, could, 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 that, could you say that that brought measurable results for your business when you defined it and communicated that aspect with your customers? Yeah, a thousand percent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big part of it. I mean, some people just say it's a one-stop shop. That's an easy way to kind of describe it, um, which I think today's families 
where everything moves so quickly and time's just flying, they don't have three years to spend trying to figure this thing out. Um, and we're there to help them get there as quickly and efficiently and, and as painlessly as possible. So it certainly fits fits a model that I think a huge amount of the population are seeking as opposed to just hiring an architect and then going through through that um, kind of old-fashioned way of design bid build. Um, and I think it's it's pretty clear and easy for them to understand. And I think most of the you know client or, or prospect calls that I have, the response I get is, this just makes complete and total sense. And my answer is like, right? It shouldn't be that complicated. Because <laughs> half the people don't even know where to start. You know, I love my neighborhood. My house is falling apart. I have five more kids now than when I bought the house. I don't want to move. What do I do? Do I call an architect? Do I call Carl down the street to build an addition? No, you, you call us because we're trying to help you solve that that problem holistically um and so i mean a lot of our marketing and our seo i told our seo people i'm like target architects like i can beat architects on marketing because i have a real company that has a budget to compete with residential architects so anybody searching for for an architect in our town we should show up you know we're not just a remodeling company we're we're that better first step for a huge amount of people as opposed to an architect who, um, and not to just bash architects the whole time because I am one, but I do, I'm very critical of, of the business model, the traditional firm model, because it is, it has made us so out of touch and far removed from housing in the United States. Mm. We have nothing to do with it. Now you're in Europe and it's very different there. And I'd love to hear about that model because I think it's it's more part of the culture there to go through that architect model. But here, it's it's been erased. They kind of skip that step more often than not. Mm -hmm. um, and if you use that regular architect step, it's a very different project type or process. Mm -hmm. I mean, sense. I would say that it also happens here. I think that development has definitely influenced a big... Um, sort of disconnect from architects and um, the real implication. And also a lot of times, like there is construction companies and developers coming in with their own solutions. They don't really consult architects, architects. And so there is a lot of like mis, um, misdesign happen, you know, where actually I would almost say that some of the, the buildings are designed almost like inhumanely, you know, uh, with like weird rooms, no window kind of situation, that stuff, because it's all for profit. Um, so that definitely happens. And that's in the new construction. And then the old obviously has its own regulations because you can't, you know, you can't build um, extensions. You can't build on top of the buildings because there's, that's all regulated. Um, so there's more more like interior remodeling, I would say, refurbishment, that sort of stuff happening. And that's uh, strictly regulated. So there is obviously a limit. And then whenever creativity happens, I think for a lot of architects is finding that that perfect client that gives you that creative project. You know, it's, it's landing the project that can give you more freedom. But if you're um, if you're dealing with a sort of everyday life, there's definitely a problem with being connected if you're not building, if you're not taking care of the 
implementation in the design phase. So I think it, it might be very similar um, to that respect. And um, something that really strikes me in, um, or I really like when I listened to you when you talk about all of this is that it seems to me like you really understand your clients' problems um, that they're going through along the way as they're looking for an architect and through the process. And you have a very um, clear uh, communication around uh, around what you're selling. And, uh, you know, I teach a lot about this with, uh, you know, with my training and a lot of the, the viewers on my channels also um, sort of are looking to learn about those strategies. And, you know, I just want to take the opportunity to point it out, guys, that, you know, it's interesting how talking to get Dave, you can see this kind of confidence around what the product is and how, what benefits that and that brings actually to their clients, you know, to the clients of Lifco. And it doesn't necessarily focus only on architectural design. There is more to it. You know, there is the easy easiness. There is the, uh, the sort of the, the detail, the scale of things that uh, that matter that, you know, I heard Dave talk about. Dave, do you feel like uh, that I, I'm reading this situation correctly? Yeah, absolutely. And I think to to kind of your first point there is that we we're trying to solve their problems. Like this isn't me. This isn't, and I'm happy to do it. You know, we have a what would Dave do button. Like, hey, this is your house. What would you do to it? You know, that, that's not what what I'm necessarily. I'm happy to do it, but that's not necessarily what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to help help understand what's not working for you. I'm not trying to project what I think your life should be. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand where you eat breakfast, where you want to eat breakfast, where your family spends time. And really the easiest solution, and this is for any architect or any designer, is just ask questions constantly. You know, just yes. ask a question, they give you an answer, ask a question on that answer, they give you another answer. On the third question, you'll actually get to the heart of it, what it is. It's not they want, you know, a freestanding tub. It's it's baked into something deeper of like, I want a showpiece, which is a fine answer, but you're just, or it may be because, you know, my kids love bathing in this thing that's underneath the windows, you know, but, but you just have to keep asking those questions to get to the real, real answer. And yeah, I, I try and take me out of it as much as I can, other than my ability to um, propose a solution to the program that I've ex extracted from them. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most fascinating things that I've learned. And I actually did it through a, a Sandler training course, a Sandler sales training course that was geared towards designers. Is when I did that, I realized that in my six years of architecture school, I never had to write the program. Mm -hmm. The program's always handed to you. And that's probably where architects miss the most in that training is you never, you, you, you never really get to extract that from an end user. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll get a scenario or something and you have to apply it to it, but you never really get to work with that person to really analyze what their needs are and what their pain points are and then apply a solution. It's a lot more abstract than that. So that's just an easy thing that, yeah, I wish I learned that 20 years ago, but um, lots of questions for sure. So interesting because, you know, a lot of times I think that architects don't really understand what that means to, to solve problems or pain points. Like, I think that they think that a person's problem is that they need a home, but that's not really <laughs> it. You know, there is more to it. And 
your uh, your your ability to really get that out of a customer is your ticket towards having a better like basically delivering a better quality product for them that they will feel uh, truly reflects what they needed and um you know one of the things that i always talk about and in fact i literally because i'm just recording a course an online course and i literally just been giving a lesson on this now and i was talking about these specific questions and i think it's really important to ask them about their vision of the result as well so that you can really understand what for them what a successful collaboration or a successful delivery look like and you know it's not to ask them about the design it's more about to see what they say to that so that you understand their expectation better and uh, i think that that very much matters too so it's like this whole process that you have to go through in the initial conversations with your customer to understand more about what really um, are they looking for and when you dig deep i think a lot of times you find that it's like they're looking for someone they can really trust uh you know <laughs> they're looking for basically first like qualities in you as an architect you know that can be um you know trusting and, and understanding that you can manage everything and and also trusting with the budget and being on time and things like that yes and i just have to add this and i, I know we're going pretty long on time here but um right. it's also going to make the design process more efficient mm. so and i did a i did a, a kind of a debate call about this with uh, Michael Anschel, who's an awesome design builder in, in Minneapolis, on one option versus a whole bunch of options. So we we don't give options. I'm I'm going to present one design concept to you. In this concept that I'm going to present to you is going to be very well developed, based on what I learned from my questions for you. And then I'm going to have you guys respond to that. And then I'm going to um, present a second concept based on the feedback that I get from you on the first one. This whole like spinning the wheels things is I'm gonna show three concepts and have the client choose just delivers more inefficiency to the process. Like it, it's, it's mind blowing because you don't get to fully develop the three plans. They're gonna pick the one that you don't even like. Like the whole thing is just dysfunctional. So if you use the tools to actually understand what, what their needs are, you know, beyond just the wants and all those things, it's really invaluable in, in the whole process. And then you can streamline that process. You can be more profitable. You can have happier clients. Um, and it, it all, it all kind of ties together. Ask lots mm -hmm. of questions. Absolutely. Ask lots of questions. All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for joining me on this talk. It was excellent. Um, when, if people want to check your website or, or contact you or whatever, where do they find you? Sure. All right. So our website is livecompanies.com, L-I-V-C-O-M-P-A-N-I-E-S.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm David Pollard and with Live, you can also follow Live Companies on, on LinkedIn. Um, and then, uh, we're on Instagram, Facebook. Oh, we have a fun YouTube channel too. So check that Ooh, out amazing Lots i didn't ask stuff. about that what do you what do you make on youtube what sort of videos uh i guess it's not that exciting so we have <laughs> one of the coolest parts about it is you know how i said i give one concept that's fully developed yeah. so yeah. part of it being fully developed is you know we're doing a full inscape rendering and we're doing a fly through and then that's done and we put that on our youtube channel so you can see mm -hmm. every concept design that we're doing throughout we put that yeah. on youtube and then 
we have you know some fun stuff just goofy videos that i've done stuff about what it is that we do um if you're really bored you can actually watch an edited down version of our zoom christmas party that i we we, we did a zoom christmas party and i didn't put the whole thing on there but i made it edited into like eight minutes that's kind of entertaining so i don't know that's great we're, we're always but making stuff yeah yeah let me ask you a question are you mainly aiming at your clients with your social media specifically with the youtube you want your clients to go there and have a look at the other projects that you've produced uh so partially yeah i mean i think a lot of it in, in marketing is it's somewhat focused but also any content that just shows who we are can be attributed to grabbing more clients and spreading our word but also you know, hiring, you know, all of that and, and building, building a, a strong team, continuing to grow, recruit other architects who want to change the world one house at a time, like I do. So uh, all of that content kind of speaks to the same, you know, big picture mission, I guess. But yes, we do uh, any email follow up that I do with a client after I first talk to them, I'll send them a link to all the YouTube fly throughs, not so that they can necessarily say, I want that one, but they can see what they're getting in that first mm -hmm. step. So what they're paying for, they're going to get one of those too. Excellent. I love it that you use social media to basically create, really build a brand. And I think that's really what it's there for. So it's awesome that you integrated it as well. Yeah. And you can have some fun with it too. Absolutely. Yeah, it is fun. It, yeah. It grows a community around your brand. So that's yeah. very awesome well thank you so much for joining me today guys these shows are happening on tuesdays and thursdays every day at 5 p.m central european time check what time that is at your home because i know that people are tuning in from all over the world uh, you can follow me on um on youtube on linkedin as well as facebook sarah Kalata. and if you're on link on youtube just press the little bell for notifications of these videos coming up twice a week Thank you so much, Dave, again, for joining. Thanks, Sarah. And all the best. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much. Architecture Talk Tank has its own frequency. We're not a regular podcast, but we are here for you, always. If you have a suggestion for a guest or have a story that others in this community can benefit from, please contact me via social media or email me directly at me at saracolada.com. To sign up for my newsletter, simply go to the website saracolada.com. I am on Instagram, YouTube and LinkedIn. You can find me by typing my name, Sarah Colada. Come say hi. I'm always excited when you reach out. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.